Welcome to the HPW Insight podcast in which myself, David Ridley, Senior Editor, and Tom Gallen, Managing Editor, discuss the week's European consumer healthcare industry news. So, Tom, what have you been writing about this week? So, yeah, this week just been tying up the kind of last few sales and earnings from the big consumer health players. And the one I wanted to talk about this week was um, Bayer's results. Um, so they had a really good um, 2020 um, growing and their sales grew about 5%, which was ahead of the market at 4% in uh, constant currency terms. Um, and particularly noteworthy because Bayer, you know, has had a, it's well documented, had a lot of problems with their consumer health uh, business, which stems back quite a way um, to when they acquired um, some large brands such as Claritin from Merck and Co, um, mm. which I think was in about 2015. Um, and in at the, uh, the end of uh, 2018, um, Shortly after arriving, the new consumer healthcare head, Heiko Shipper, put in a turnaround plan. And I think, you know, we're now starting to see that bear fruit in the 2020 results. Um, some of the um, programs he, he sort of put in place to return the business to growth. Um, and then also, I think there's a bit, a bit they've had a bit of a, a tailwind as well as, as, you know, a lot of their peers in terms of COVID has really driven up sales for um, supplements, which for, for Bayer is um, has been um, you know a sort of extra boost because their supplements business is is their kind of largest category. I was going to say um, they've got some pretty big they've got some pretty big uh, supplements and VMS brands, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, they have. Yeah, so like they've got um, One a Day, which is a big one in the US, mm. and then they've got uh, Elevit. Prenatal, which is like it's quite it's quite big in Germany, but then it's also big in um, in uh, Asia Pacific, like Mm. uh, China as well. Um, So you know that's there's a big trend. There's a big trend for that in China. I was speaking to someone the other day about it. So I think you know that's that's helped. I mean, obviously they've, as everyone else has as well. You know they've been. sort of set back slightly by the pandemic due to the uh, effect on you know cough and cold sales mm. um you know everyone being in lockdown um you know it's kind of really the, the you know the cold and flu season really took a hit there so uh, of, the, of those two did that even out with the um nutritionals like yeah cancel out the effect of the cough and cold or not enough no i think it i think I think it more than did, um, you know, the, um, they, I think they reported on the, the nutritionals, you know, went up by something like 20% and then the, um, their allergy and cold category went down by about 4%. Mm. So you can see, yeah, the, the increase in supplement sales kind of more than, um, more than offset the loss in cough and cold, which is, you know, as I say, why they've managed to do well and, and, um, grow faster than the market uh, this year yeah it's it's all about where your um, brands are aren't they what categories uh, as to how you've done with the the coronavirus yeah you've got good if you've got some good 
prevention based brands and products you know vitamins or yeah i mean mainly just the vms category has really been the one that's been boosted the most isn't it yeah that's been the big one and then also i think just in general that's you know as as we know as we've been following that seems to be a um, category where there's a lot of innovation and stuff um, mm. going on at the moment. You know, you know, and you've got things like CBD and probiotics, kind of like kind of new sort of categories within the category opening up, and that's you know companies are, 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 you know putting um, you know real investments behind that, which is which is another thing I'd just pick up on because along with the uh, sales and earnings report, I um, I posted from Bayer. I also had a look through their annual um, report, which obviously goes into a bit more kind of granular detail than just the than just the sales report. And I picked out some interesting kind of facts and figures on their um, R and D activities for consumer. Yeah, I saw health. that. It's really interesting. Um, and I think that's and that was that's part of you know as I mentioned before, Heiko Shippers turnaround plan. Um, one of the kind of areas he identified that needed uh, sorting was innovation because he said there'd been a lot historically low level mm. um, and that was something that he wanted to uh, fix and put put more emphasis on but interestingly not particularly spend that much more uh, money you know they've not injected a lot more cash I think they've spent uh, you know a ratio the ratio of um, R&D spend this year um, to, to sales is, is broadly in line with last year. Uh, I think it's more just about focusing on the right areas, as we say, um, you know, supplements and, and other categories that are growing. And it's just, um, you know, those those um, that focus seems to be kind of paying off. And, you know, they've they delivered over 53 kind of new innovations last year and then they've also got over 100 in in the pipeline for that's this lot, year i mean that's a lot isn't it yeah it seems to me anyway yeah um i think you know one thing that you know we don't um you know they don't the annual report doesn't break down obviously what those are mm. other than to say you know it's it's across all of their main categories where they're they've got you know all of these um, projects under development. Um, you know the one area where I think you, you, they, they, there was there was no real mention other than to sort of highlight it as a as an area of interest is is switch because um, mm. obviously that's that's your, that's the uh, the kind of gold standard of, of of innovation if you can you know switch a product obviously and and, it, and then you know even if it's a kind of first in its category, open up a whole new category as OTC. Mm. Um, and you know, there's a there's a kind of few big ones. Sort of, well, there's one on the cusp as as we've reported on the UK with the um, daily contraceptive, mm. and then there's a few more sort of on the horizon in the US because Sanofi are, are putting a lot of money into trying to switch um, Tamiflu, um, obviously for for uh, for flu and um, Cialis is a erectile dysfunction drug yes. which would be the first in the US. Yeah, it's almost I don't know whether it's maybe overegging it a bit, but a bit of a switch renaissance maybe in the wake of the pandemic with the, with those two centralised switches as well recently. 
Yeah, yeah, we have seen, seemed to have seen uh, a bit more switch activity, um, and you know, I think I think the market needs it really because, as you say, there was a, there was in looking at Europe, there was those two centralised switches um, last year um, in the form of Desloratadine and uh, Fortisin um, from Record Arte. But before that, the last centralised switch was L01, which was, you know, back in 2015. So that's a five-year gap, really. Uh, And then I know in the US side, you know, our colleagues were speaking about this the other day. Uh, I don't know if you remember sort of bemoaning the lack of switches mm. um, there. I think I think Volta Volta was switched and think in the US last year, wasn't it? And that yeah. was kind of again the first one for ages. So yeah, I think you're right. You know, hopefully, yeah, we are seeing a bit of a renaissance in a because you know that's really important for the market that that, that you know we we get these big switches. Yeah, one of the things I've I've written about a little bit um, and it came up in my interview with Michelle Riddles at PAGB CEO the other day is that um, the UK might be, you know, a, a switch leader in the next few years. One of the silver linings of Brexit mm. being that the MHRA has got a bit of flexibility on that front. Mm. So, and, you know, the UK is one of those markets that um, companies can use, you know, to drive switching everywhere else because, you know, it's a big market and, yeah. you know, you can get some good data from a successful switch there. So um, so that would be good. But I was going to ask as well, what just, I know it's a big question, but maybe just quickly, what how Bayer's results compare to some of the other companies, like the bigger companies that you've, you've um, reported on recently? Is it like similar in terms of, you know, the benefiting from um, like supplement side um, and generally doing well? How do they compare? Yeah, I think. Well, I think in terms of in terms of the trends, in terms of you know supplements helping to drive up sales, and then um, you know the cold and flu, um, the cold and flu situation, um, kind of being a drag. You know, I think that's that's the same for all of the the big players and you know they've got they've all got sort of fairly similar you know portfolios in terms of Mm. being exposed in those um categories um i mean i think yeah overall you know everyone all all of the major players have kind of you know not had bad uh 2020s um when you look at the portfolio as a whole, but then it just depends, you know, how they um, break it down. Like RB, for example, um, they kind of pick out their OTC medicines as a, as a category within their health business. And that actually, the sales in, in that business actually went down by 3%, which mm. was related to, um, you know, the, um, the drop in the cough and cold, but then also, you know that's another business which is as as um kind of been struggling struggling in recent years um you know they got their new ceo in um last year and he's kind of come in and in some ways kind of re- reverse changes made by the previous ceo rakesh kapoor 
and then he's obviously trying to put his own stamp on things um and you know one of those priorities is is to get that health business with you know containing the otc uh products back up to uh you know uh you know faster than the market growth again and again um you know that they've also as as with Boa, kind of pointed to innovation um as being you know really important um and they're actually uh putting you know i mentioned previously Bayer is kind of keeping their spend on r&d similar um but just kind of changing the way they do things whereas r&b is actually seems to be pumping significant amounts more into r&d hmm. um so like this year they've said they're going to um invest 35 percent more than they did uh, in 2019 it's also a you know huge increase mm. um and they've kind of they're kind of um kind of shaking up how they do r&d because it, it's it's from from what i understand it was quite sort of siloed by kind of category um and sort of by brand before whereas now they're trying to open it up so you know if they kind of have a breakthrough in one area that can be applied to uh to another product they can quickly kind of scale that up mm. so you know it's 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 um you know the, the r&d at the moment is, is seems to be a big thing for everybody um yeah, so also we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and how you know how that this you know how this or this increased spend comes through to actually new products on the market. Mm. Yeah, I think it seems like some of the uh, analysts' advice to kind of you know invest your way out of the crisis is being taken on board. Yeah, seems like yeah. seems like good advice. I mean, it's good for us. <laughs> it's more to write about. <laughs> So what have you been um, looking at this past week, Ben? What, what kind of things do you um, have you kind of found interesting as you, on your uh, sort of journalistic travels? <laughs> well, yeah, I think I've been I've been writing a bit about the kind of trends, some of the innovation side of things. Uh, I've got a couple of stories about probiotics, um, mm. which is we've already mentioned it's a big trend within the wellness side, um, and then digital health which is also something that that has been talked a lot about and i think we've seen like you know really happen now in a sense so uh, we've got i wrote a story about gsk who are celebrating 20 years of volterol in the uk mm-hmm. um, since it was switched um, and then you know they're putting some money behind promoting the brand um, and celebrating that you know in the media kind of constant tv presence um, social media etc but i think what's most interesting is that they're launching a wearable you know so this is like a uh, a gadget that you wear that will you know take some information from you know whatever activity you're doing and then give you some feedback and i mean there's not a lot of detail on this wearable it's like a knee uh, knee brace, mm. Volterol branded, um, and there's no details as to you know what, what it does or how it relates to um, the product. But yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's the first wearable I think that GSK have 
produced. I can't think of any branded wearables off the top of my head. Uh, so, yeah, pretty exciting, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think there was, I don't know if it was GSK, it might have been quite a few years ago now that uh, one of the big companies kind of went into partnership with with somebody over a, a kind of pain relief wearable um, right. and it did seem it did seem you know a few years ago that, that wearables were going to kind of be the next big thing but then yeah. a few were sort of launched here and there but then it didn't seem to catch on too much so I mean I don't know do you think you know wearables and, and 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 more digital things are you know is that going to be something that we're going to see companies kind of getting more more into now i mean i think the gamble is that covid has made people more reliant on technology isn't it i mean it's something that you know everyone's talked about for ages you know the digital revolution but you know consumer healthcare companies have been saying that they're going to do you know um, in various ways, you know, from like real world evidence and real world data to wearables and apps. But it just doesn't seem to me that, you know, it's really happened. It's happened mm. in kind of bits, um, you know, and, you know, you've been doing this longer than me, so you, you would have seen a bit more that when it first kind of came about, I think, you know, people used to talk about Fitbits and stuff yeah. back in the day, didn't they? But, uh, but I think it's like the linking of, of those technologies with the actual you know brands and what you know what OTC products do I think mm. that's what's really interesting and I think you know that's what that's what they're thinking is that people are using all of this stuff more now you know it's more integrated into daily life as before it might be that's you know you have some people that are really into wearables or you know have track their steps and you know go on walks and monitoring yeah. how much exercise they're doing or whatever yeah but maybe now it's more of a mainstream thing. But, you know, it's like everything with COVID, like what lasts after, you know, lockdowns and, and whatever, you know, what how how far are people just going to go back to before, mm. you know, what's the new normal look like? I think it's all up in the air, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, at the moment. It's just, it seems seems hard. So it seems like we, you know, with the vaccine, we've got kind of light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, tunnel could be pretty long, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. Use exactly. Um, but you know, it does sit. It, you know, from what the companies have said in terms of, you know, going back again to the supplements example, you know, they seem fairly confident that that's the. Um, that the uh, increased consumption of supplements, you know, is here to la- is here to stay, mm. and uh, and you know people are more interested in that preventative side of things. So, I mean, that's but, a real that's a real habit, you know, based thing as well, though, isn't it? With supplements, mm. I mean, that's like what what makes or breaks the supplement user, whether you can find some way of like doing that regularly. I mean, I've I've personal experience trying to um, you know incorporate that into my daily life. Um, and I always take my supplements before I go to sleep, which I think maybe is not the best time. That's <laughs> <laughs> just when I remember. Or some people I've chatted to have it, you know, on their desks. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think if you, you've either got that habit or you haven't now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back to the back to the digital health. You know, this is the second big um, launch that I've written about. There was also J and J's Nicorette Quick Mist Smart Track. 
yeah. uh, product, you know, where they've got the spray um, and the app, which I think was, you know, one of the biggest launches of 2020 and it's still being talked about. I think it'll be talked about more over the coming few months. So, you know, I think it's looking like it's going to be the year or maybe the next few years where you, you see some kind of big, um, you know, big digital. I think it's all about having a pro- having a product supported by something digital. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you've written about this as well, though, haven't you? Yeah. Um, is it, was it Sanofi? Yeah, I think um, I think when we did our I think when we did our roundup of the top ten UK marketing stories last year, I think if I think I'm right, say Sanofi, um, Sanofi the story about Sanofi was top, and that was um, in relation to how they'd um, how they would use it. They'd kind of made this partnership with um, digital health company Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, um, where, uh, which which they kind of tied in with their Buscapan and Dolcolex mm-hmm. brands, right. um, and it was and they were kind of people that used that were, were kind of um, uh, kind of pointed to to use this Babylon uh, symptom checker app for IBS. Yeah. Um, you know, through like a in and then symptom checker, you know, uses like AI. Um which can provide like you know treatment advice and things like that um which is obviously you know popular with our uh readers because that was kind of something uh, you know a bit new and mm-hmm. i think that and i think that backs up you know what you were saying in terms of you know you get an established brand and then you kind of link that with some you know interesting technology i mean you mm-hmm. know um something like you know ibs is kind of um perfect for that because it's kind of like you know it's a condition that you know most people kind of manage on their own without uh, involvement of a healthcare professional uh, yeah this is this is and that's that's exactly the thought behind uh nick rex that you know i went into that in-depth interview with the with a couple of the senior figures in in the brand uh for j and j and and this is the whole thing they were saying about you know this is something historically you managed with the help of a healthcare professional um, you know, pharmacy or, or whatever it is, and and the app, you know, it doesn't replace a healthcare professional, but you know, does some of those things like supports you through it essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and and you know, this is something related to the pandemic, where you know, whatever face to face support you were getting with your you know OTC medicines or or you know, thinking about switch, you know, prescription medicines. Like the contraceptive pill is a good example, you know, finding it really difficult to get that advice or or even to get the products, you know, digital health can help um, you manage it. It's all about, you know, uh, compliance and safety and, mm. you know, making sure that people take it properly. So, yeah, I think it's definitely got the potential. Uh, and also, you know, speaking about um, gut health, you know, this is another trend, probiotics. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, Sanofi uh, has also tapped into last year, a couple of uh, launches. But yeah, I wrote a couple of stories about that as well. Uh, so I interviewed Optibiotics CEO, uh, Stephen O'Hara again, and he 
had some interesting things to say about you know covid related trends that would boost uh, prebiotics and probiotics global markets mm-hmm. uh, and he pointed to science um, and prevention so we talked about prevention so i think you know probiotics is benefiting pre and probiotics are benefiting from that general trend towards prevention people being more conscious of wanting to keep healthy so they don't get yeah. you know covid or any other health conditions in the first place but yeah i thought it was interesting what you said about science you know so before the pandemic maybe there was a bit of uh, i mean there's general kind of problems with trust but you know science probably wasn't as trusted as it was in the past uh, a lot of skepticism and obviously still got that now I mean, like you know um kind of conspiracy theories and um, yeah. skepticism about vaccines and stuff like that but you know the reliance on science and scientists with the vaccines you know how quickly they got approved you know the UK did really well out of that uh, world leading kind of innovation on the vaccine front even you know pharmaceutical companies maybe that maybe um, weren't as trusted as they could have been in the past uh, now have benefited from that you know doing that kind of public duty of getting a vaccine out as quickly as possible manufacturing massive massive amounts um and anyway so you know stephen said that uh, that would benefit probiotics and prebiotics because these are very much science-based products there's a lot of research into um, the microbiome you know in loads of areas skin microbiome gut micro microflora I mean, I'm not an expert, but um, Pierre's a lot of science behind that. So he thinks those two trends will boost it even more. And this is a, a market that's already been growing really fast. Um, I think he said $40 billion uh, global market is worth at the moment. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think we've... we've um seen you know the big consumer health players are kind of all um getting involved in the market you know as you as you kind of recognize an opportunity as you, you know as you said you mentioned um sanofi um who had a few launches at the end of last year and then um when they set out um when they published their results and kind of set out their strategy looking forward um they've you know, the big announcement was that they're uh, going to sell around 150 brands, which is like 60% of their portfolio. But part of that, you know, is about focusing on what they call the priority categories, which are the mm. ones that are growing the best, um, you know, globally, um, not just in their portfolio. And, you know, unsus- unsurprisingly, you know, probiotics was one of the main ones. Mm. Um, and, you know, as, as we mentioned before, you know, Bayer, um of of um, being kind of um, launching stuff in that category as well, and then there was a big announcement uh, last month from Perigo. Mm, uh, yeah, I saw that. Who teamed up with Sweden's Proby to launch in the in Europe um, a few, uh, I think two or three probiotic products. Mm. So you know we can see all of the all the big companies getting into it can't can't we yeah. so i think this is probiotics that's only going to increase in in um, interest among 
our subscribers and you know we're going to hopefully write more and more about it yeah definitely and one of the interesting things is the kind of regulatory situation i mean it's a big it's a big topic mm. i think we'll come back to but um, you know talking about europe it's uh you know it's difficult it's one of those you know single market but not a lot of harmonization issues you've got some countries that allow products to have you know the name probiotics and prebiotics um, on the label but you know technically these are unauthorized health claims from a, from the point of view of um, EFSA so yeah I mean this is another, one of the things that Stephen O'Hara mentioned you know recently Spain decided to allow um, to allow that those names on pa- on packages Italy has for a long time and Italy allows like a specific claim and I think recently Denmark also joined I actually sp- I've spoken to some um, a regulatory expert about this which I'm going to hopefully publish next week um, that they've done a survey of you know all these countries and they actually found there were far more um, countries that actually allowed it than than they realized and maybe you know maybe some yeah. of the companies even realized so um yeah Stephen said that he thought maybe you know the tide was turning in that respect and i think you know the question will be how many mark how many individual member states will decide to you know be more lenient until you know on a Euro, you know european wide level the the kind of position changes you know mm-hmm. it's an interesting question i think yeah it's definitely a sort of watch this space one isn't it yeah that's all for this week. Tune in next time for more analysis of recent consumer healthcare industry news. Don't forget to sign up for our daily news alert to get the latest HBW Insight story straight into your inbox. Take care. See you next week.